Coming up on episode 182 of Wheel Bearings, we're joined by the prolific Nicole Wakelin, and we're driving the Ford Bronco Sport, Chevrolet Tahoe, and we try the effects of cold weather on the Mustang Mach-E. Speaking of the Mach-E, a listener tried to buy one at a dealer and it did not go well, and so we talk about it. We also talk about the newly debuted Chevrolet Bolt EUV that's bigger and costs less. That's all ahead on episode 182 of Wheel Bearings. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is Wheelbearings. I'm Dan Raw from Forbes. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samit from Guidehouse Insights. I'm Rebecca Lindland from Rebecca Drives. And this week we are joined by a uh, guest. Nicole Wakeland from Car Expert. There you go. Uh, Hello, so, Nicole. Welcome. Hello. Hi, Nicole. Thanks hey. for joining us. How are things in uh, frosty New Hampshire? Uh, frosty. I'm yeah. sitting here with a blanket over my lap and uh, wishing it would stop snowing for like five minutes. That'd be cool. <laughs> uh, not today. Not today. I think we're actually getting more today. This is going to be... Yep. Good times. Um, all right. Well, so let's start with what we're driving. Uh, and I think, um, Rebecca, the Bronco Sport, I want to know, while you were driving this, did people mistake it for the actual Bronco? Because that's a thing that's been happening all over the country. It is a thing that's been happening all over the country. So I was a little surprised by driving this that it did not get more points and looks and smiles and questions and such. Um, it could be that it is stupid cold out lately and people aren't feeling very chatty. <laughs> um, but when I had the Mach-E, the very first traffic light I stopped at, a woman rolled down, like, you know, put down her window and was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. And that didn't happen with the, with the Bronco Sport. Nevertheless, it's so cute. It's so fun. Like the interior is just delightful. So, so I had, I had the, the Ford Bronco sport outer banks four by four edition. There's five or six different trim lines and such. And the one that I had had the 1.5 liter eco boost, 181 horsepower, 190 pounds of torque, a speed auto. And as I mentioned, four, four by four, all wheel drive. This is the, car-based version of the Bronco. So it's, 
I know a lot of people it's, are. It's based on the guns. same. It's based on the escape platform. Right. The escape. So this is the sport version, uh, the Bronco sport. And then the, the, the big Bronco is going to be coming out later on sometime this year. Well, yeah, but that's, what's interesting is like the Bronco sport seems to be fooling everybody. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and I think that was, you know, that was the point it, they, you know, they wanted it to look like a Bronco, you know, it's got a lot of the same the z- design language, you know, because it's, it's part of this family, you know, rather than just doing a single Bronco this time, they, they introduced a Bronco family and the sport, you know, is the entry level model for people that don't need the ultimate off-road capability. Right. And it's still, it does look very, very similar, you know, so there, this is, this is the perfect vehicle for places like, you know, for warm weather climbs where you don't necessarily need a full time, you know, an all wheel drive, super off road capable vehicle. I mean, it's just it's so cute. And I was absolutely delighted with the interior. And I know some some people on my Instagram, people ask me questions about the build quality of the interior. I thought it was really good. I know a number of us actually have been in this vehicle, maybe not mine in particular, but have been in the Bronco Sport. But I thought the fit and finish was really nice. I thought the the selection of materials was very good. There's some different textures to it. Mine had kind of a grayish brown interior and I had some friends over and they were, you know, they looked inside and they were like, oh my gosh, I love that. It's kind of like almost like a flannel gray. And mm. I don't know, I just thought they did a really nice job. It was cute. Like in the back, they have uh, brown and black interwoven for the back seat pockets. And it kind of reminded me of the Harvey pocketbooks that are made out of seatbelt material uh, that are like kind of the, the required outfit for, for women in the automotive industry. But it kind of, it, it's this uh, same look in terms of utilizing, you know, kind of rugged looking materials like a seatbelt material. So I thought they did a really good job on the interior. I thought it was really, really appealing. So the drive <laughs> in it was interesting. I, as some people know, I am purging the treehouse, And so I'm trying to get stuff organized and I have a rather extensive collection of false craft gourmet brown drip dishes, stoneware from the 50s, 60s, and 70s in my collection. So, so if you would like any, please send us an email, too. Uh, no, <laughs> if you're selling any, because I still haven't given up the house. Oh, oh, you're going <laughs> to... Nice. <laughs> <laughs> but so I did, I sorted through, and some of it had to go to storage. So I actually had probably a dozen boxes of dishes in the back of this thing. And I got to say, the whole way... 13, 15 miles, something like that, mostly on I-95, but a little bit on back roads as well. They didn't make a sound. And it's not that they were packed so well. I mean, I did pack them carefully, but inevitably dishes rattle. Like that's kind of what they do. And this thing was silent. I was so impressed. And so not only could it hold a ton, but the ride on it was so soft and not, not in a bad way, but like very smooth that, you know, it kind of handled any different, tarmac any potholes it was really really impressive because those dishes can make noise let me tell you (laughs) (laughs) and so just having you know that kind of experience it was just it was quiet refined and really really fun you know so i really liked it so the bronco sport is the sport starts at around twenty seven thousand. um 
And then the one that I had starts at 32 and as tested was 36. I did notice that the freight was almost $1,500 on this. I don't know that if that's how it is going to be on the, the other Bronco that's coming from the States. This one is made in Hermosillo, Mexico, but that seemed high. I thought only um, FCA or Stellantis or Fiat Chrysler or whoever they are. I thought theirs was one of the only ones that's that for freight was this high. Well, yeah, well, we, this, you know, this is something I wanted to talk about, you know, perhaps next week uh, when we talk about the, uh, the F-150 I'm driving right now. But uh, it seems like Ford is following Stellantis in their in this path towards these hidden price increases through the freight charges, because right. the uh, the F-150 I'm driving, the freight charge oh. on that is seventeen hundred dollars. Yeah, I just and it, at- it came from Dearborn, which is like 20 miles away Holy from me. <laughs> like you could almost walk there and get it. Yeah. I mean, it'd be a long walk, but yeah, you're right, Sam, because I had one as well and it was 1695. Yeah. Now what's it on the Mach-E? Let me just look real quick. Uh, Look, uh, what's the, what's the company in Uh, in Romulus? Um, Interesting. So the Mach-E is 1100. United road needs to make their money. (laughs) But I, it's interesting. I know other companies will have different charges for different vehicles, but yeah, that was, I, I, that caught my attention. Yeah. And, you know, of course, Ford, like most automakers, does not when you know, when you look at their their consumer website and you look at the prices, the starting prices, they don't include the delivery charge in the price, which is, you know, and it's not like it's an option. You have to pay it. Right. So I think, you know, this is something I think that, you know, needs to change. I think all manufacturers should be required to include any mandatory charges in that starting price, you know, don't, because, you know, otherwise it's a bait and switch. Um, and this is something actually, you know, we're going to talk about um, the Chevy bolt later, but this is something that GM has actually started to do is include the, the delivery charge in the price that they show on the site. Well, and you can spin it to say, look, free shipping. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, technically, shipping included. Right? <laughs> yeah. Shipping. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's included anyway. It's, you, it's, know? I mean, you have to be careful with those words. I, I, I listened to um, the the uh, America's Test Kitchen proof episode yesterday about orange juice, and they can't say fresh squeezed, but they can say squeezed from fresh oranges. And that's, it's, that's the kind of thing you have to be like. It's just. As, as opposed to what squeezed from you know rotten well, oranges. Or, it's or about like Minute Maid oranges? and Tropicana. So like Minute Maid was concentrate yeah. orange juice from concentrate, and Tropicana was was pasteurized. And there's the whole thing about you know how you process it. And and Tropicana was trying to say like we don't process it at all, which is nonsense. Of course they do, um, but they they can't say fresh squeezed because it's it's not. But you can say squeezed from fresh oranges because at some point in the process it has been, and it's it's. Wow. Chicanery. These are the diversions that we yeah. go on. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I didn't mean to divert us. <laughs> what I'm talking about is the fact that champagne only comes from certain regions. You can only right, be champagne yeah. if you're from sh- that region in France. Otherwise, I don't know, you're breaking international law or something. Uh, so, uh, yeah. yeah it's the same with most wines, you know, like yeah. Burgundies and things like right. that. Yeah. But 
But that's a topic that I'm happy to go and explore what, further wine? at that location. <laughs> champagne. And champagne. champagne. I would, yeah. You know what, Rebecca? I think that's a good call. The next episode of this, I will go with you to champagne. Exactly. I'll take one for the team. You know, I think if we ever get big enough. go all the way to Illinois just for us? Champagne. <laughs> It's a nice Urbana bubbly. Um, uh, I think if we ever get big enough, we can have a, a budget where we can actually assign stories. We can, we there can you go. send you that there. One. Yeah. Right. It'd be great. So anyway, so I loved, I mean, I thought I, I thought the Bronco was the Bronco sport was great. It's really, it's just, it's just a fun, I love the styling on it. I thought it behaved really well. Um, I what do you think of the was, engine? So, you know, that's the triple, right? I would like to try yeah. the 2.0 liter. Yeah. It was, it was at times a little underpowered. You know, you're not going to be overtaking anybody, you know, in a crazy amount. I, yeah, I thought it was okay. I mean, it's, I didn't sit there and think, oh my gosh, come on, come on, come on. Like I have, you know, in a smaller engine, but 1.5 liter is 181 horsepower. I mean, it's, you know, as I said, I'd love to try the 2.0 liter. I think that would be really interesting. I think it depends on what kind of driving you're doing. So if you are the type of person that is constantly on the highway, that you're constantly trying to get around, that you're a more aggressive driver, I can see where this might be a little bit underpowered. If you need to, you know, jump the light and be the first one off at, at the at a traffic light, I can see where this might be a little, you know, not uh, not what you would want. But I think for around town and, you know, more of kind of the errands sort of thing, if you want something that's cute and fun and, you know, and has the power when you need it, but not necessarily the you know full amount, I think it's good. I mean, I, I would I was picturing like college kids in this, you know, younger buyers in it. I mean, that price point is pretty good. Seems, it's not, you know, it's not cheap. That but, seems really expensive for like well, buyers the thing you got to keep well, in mind about get, the bronco sport is yeah. it's it's only available with four-wheel drive there's no front drive version of the bronco sport <clears> and it's not <throat> all-wheel drive it's it's a it's a it's full-time a four, four, four it's a full-time four-wheel drive system so that's standard oh, so it's expensive and it sucks gas <laughs> well, <laughs> well i mean i mean if you compare 26 combined that's not I mean, terrible you know if you if you compare it you know to uh, you know, any of the all wheel drive compact crossovers, it's, you know, it's comparably priced. It's not significant. It's not more expensive than, you know, than a CRV or a RAV4 with all wheel drive. And it's got a much more capable four wheel drive system than those do. Well, that's, yeah, I mean, it's pricier, but you get a lot. I drove both engines at the little launch that Ford did for like a one day program. And, that is a capable vehicle. I mean, they really had us off road. They really had us going, you know, on soft sand and, you know, it was something you kind of looked at you're like, Ooh, a crossover on this, a small SUV. I don't know. It was fine. It took it without issue. So you're not getting a typical crossover experience. You're getting something really, truly capable if you want to go off roading in that. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I would have loved to. I mean, I thought it, it handled, you know, we've got some ice and snow here. And I thought it handled it really, really well. I didn't have any issues coming up my driveway. And I actually had another vehicle that we're still under embargo, but that was a two-wheel drive that I did have problems. Well, it was a Lamborghini, so. It was a Lamborghini, With summer tires. It's not, you know, my driveway is not an easy driveway to get up and down, especially when it's 
when there's ice and snow and the Bronco sport handled it really, really well. And very easily. I like the ground clearance on it. So there's a level of confidence in it that I thought was really, really good. I love that it is blocky. Like the mm-hmm. um, first escape that the, the second generation of the first escape. So when did that come out? 2007, 2008, 2008. <clears throat> the square one. That looked mm-hmm. trucky. That's my favorite escape. Was that um, 2008? Like yeah. the very first it was escape? a 2008 model. I think it came the, out in 07. Yeah, the first, it, it first, first, model. first escape right. was much it, Well, so the first gen yeah, came out in 2002. Or 2002. Yeah, okay. Um, but they restyled it for 2008. And I, yeah, I remember because I wrote the post for Autoblog about it. <laughs> um, and I was super impressed. Uh, and it was just friendly and cheerful and had a crappy interior but it was it was pleasant and then they've gone to you know escapes that are they look more like you know of a focus uh which is fine because that's what they are but um i like the the return of some some sort of t-square lines to it and i i think that it's 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 so funny because it's like the same thing as the escape in a lot of ways but the stuff that makes it different makes it very different. And they have two different personalities. Um, yeah. Right. And, and, you know, this this time around, this generation, you know, they they really did split off. You know, they took the the escape and rather than trying to make it a crossover for everybody, you know, for people that, you know, want to have a more active lifestyle versus, you know, people are just using it as a suburban commuter. You know, they split it and they made the escape more car like, you know, still higher, like a crossover. Yeah. But it's more, more got a more car like personality to it. And they, you know, then they created the the Bronco Sport, you know, as the one for people that, you know, want to go off into the woods that don't, you know, don't necessarily need to be crawling around Moab, you know, chasing, chasing Wranglers. That's the big Bronco for them. <laughs> but, you know, that, that want, you know, the capability to get to those trailheads, you know, with their with their mountain bikes stashed in the, the rack inside the back. You know, and this is one of the things, you know, they made it taller than the Escape. The mm-hmm. roof is several inches taller. So and you can actually square. right, and you so you can stash two two bikes inside, you know, so they're locked away, they're secure, um, you know, and having that four wheel drive capability, and uh, it it's you know it's it's aimed at a, a very different kind of customer base, you know, obviously some people are going to cross shop, you know, and, uh, and those two, but you know it's really looking for two very different target markets. Yeah, and I like the fact that the glass pops out that you can uh, yeah. pops up, but opens up, you know, yeah, on so, the tailgate. Yep. So it's a two, it's a multifunctional tailgate so that you can actually have the glass open, which is rare these days. So you can stick a surfboard out or something like that. <clears throat> um, and I really liked it. And again, you know, now that I think about it more, I was in probably four inches of snow, um, of unplowed snow when I went to take pictures at the beach. And it really did incredibly well in, in that in that level of snow and the four by four certainly was the reason for that. So, you know, this is, it's a very, very versatile vehicle. It's one of those things like if to me, if you lust after the Land Rover Defender, but you cannot afford it, I think something like the Ford Bronco is a really good alternative and, you know, half the price at least not saying the same buyer is going to buy it, but it's like the Land Rover, you know, the Defender may be aspirational, but the Bronco Sport is achievable. I, yeah, I think we're seeing some of that um, conflating of this the the look, and I don't I don't think either brand really cares. 
<laughs> I think it's fine. Um, maybe Land Rover uh, feels a little bit differently. But um, so Nicole, when they had you out in the in the terrain on it, like what did you what did you do with it besides sand? Like did did you actually manage to get it stuck? <laughs> No, uh, th we, it was like a lead follow type situation. So it wasn't like you could go off and just, you know, have at it and see if you could get it stuck. Um, but they had you going up some pretty steep terrain, a decent amount of like articulation, you know, some wheels in the air, um, taking some very, there were a couple of really, really sharp, tight, steep turns, you know, the kind of stuff that would sort of hang you up, you know, where you can feel a car like losing its ability to keep that traction and keep in control and start sliding. Um, they had us doing some, a little bit of high speed, not super high speed, but a little bit faster stuff in the sand. So you could kind of have a little bit of fun with it. Um, and of course they showed it off, you know, with someone out there really giving it what for. Um, and it was, you know, it was, it was hard packed sand, loose sand. There was some gravel, uh, steep, you know, up and down, sharp. It, it was a little bit of everything. You know, it's one of those courses designed. Did, did you to come out here to Michigan for that drive? I did. I did. Oaks? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I flew out to Michigan. It was like a fly in in the morning, fly back in the evening kind of thing. Um, so they did give you a pretty good taste, but I mean, it was like, you know, not even 24 hours. You're there for, it's a very quick drive when everyone's flying in and flying out the same day. It's not like you really have a full day of driving, uh, but it was enough to give you a taste of whether you thought this is actually going to be something I would want to take off-road, or is this something that just you want to take off-road in name only? You know, um, and it could it did feel capable everyone. And it was sort of the consensus that, you know, well, this is for looking like a, just a boxy crossover is what it looks like. It, it actually handled itself well and was actually quite capable. And we drove both engines. So we got a taste of both of those powertrains and spent some time on the road with it, too. So, yeah, the so how was the 2.0 liter? Was there a significant difference? I think, yes, you definitely you can notice a difference. I mean, you know, it's it's a decent increase in power between the two. Um, but it it I think, I mean, if I was buying it, I, I tend to go for the larger, the more powerful engine just because anytime you take a car on the highway, I hate getting onto a highway and feeling like the car in my rearview mirror is way, 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 way closer than I want it to be by the time yeah. I get. <laughs> um, so. I think, but I don't feel like you, Rebecca. I didn't feel like the the smaller engine was underpowered to the point that it was not fun to drive. You know, it wasn't right. what you thought. Oh gosh, this is struggling. This is miserable. It'll get me out of this thing. But yeah, you definitely notice the extra power, and I think it makes a big difference. More so if you're going to be doing something off road. You know, if you want the extra power, the extra torque to do that, that bigger engine is going to make a difference. Yeah, the yeah, um, no, it's and, and keep in mind too that these the loans that we're getting normally we have a car for a week and these we're getting for three maybe four days and I know for me uh, I think for for most of us this, the weather has been so atrocious that there are days like today where we're not doing I'm not doing any driving the the cars are coated in ice uh, and so we're we're not getting the normal seat time in this but you know the Bronco I did I did take on uh, the Merritt Parkway as well Route 15 which has a lot of hills and again I never felt like I wanted to like, come on, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was, it was still, it was still very, very capable. So that 1.3, the last, I, or 1.5, the last time I drove that, I, I was impressed with its, or the last time I drove the Ford triple, I can't remember which size it was, but I was impressed with its, its, 
you know, torque. It, it doesn't feel like a three-cylinder because it's it's pretty muscular and it's it's not all that small. Um, so it, it has good torque until it runs out. So that's that's where I felt like it's it's more powerful than you'd expect, and then it just sort of drops off <laughs> at a certain point. Like it, so it's you find the limits of its is I guess you'd call it bandwidth, um, and that's I think the difference between that and the the two liters. The two liter probably has. You know, it can stretch. It's got more power overall, and it can sort of stretch it a little bit too. Yeah, it it goes from I'm double checking 190 pound feet up to 277. So when (laughs) that's a lot, yeah, it's a big difference. So that so you're gonna feel it. It is it is noticeable. Yeah, yeah, it is definitely something you're gonna notice. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, I agree. I I wouldn't I wouldn't consider the the one five you know significantly underpowered for most most people. Yeah, I think yeah, I think most people will be more than it more than fine with it yeah it just uh, feels like it runs out of breath at a certain point yeah and it which it does yeah. <laughs> yeah. um all right so uh nicole you were yes. driving the tahoe that i was supposed to have because i had the escalade that you were supposed to have <laughs> and i'm never gonna get an escalade and i'm gonna call you out on it dan i have never once ever <laughs> in my whole life driven an escalade and i still haven't because you kept it from ending up in my driveway i'm sorry uh <laughs> i blame the covid I, <laughs> no, I'm going to blame you because it's more fun. That's fine. <laughs> we do that all the time with Dan. So right. exactly. that's, that's fine. Um, yeah, I have I have the Tahoe. Uh, the premier is what I was driving in. Um, like Rebecca was saying, we've had miserable weather here. Uh, so if I wanted to drive it, I was going to take it out in snow and ice and the kind of stuff that you should not be going out and driving. But it's not <laughs> yours. So who cares? It's insur- this is right. not actually how we operate. We are very responsible, but I'm just. I am very responsible. <laughs> I was very careful. And this is as the one that I had, it was uh, just over $71,000. Uh, so it's not cheap. Uh, you know, it's, it's going to hold all your family and friends and half the town, but it is, it's an expensive vehicle. Um, it is great to drive it though. Like they're driving on the highway. We had a time I was driving and there was probably a good four or five inches and it has sort of gotten packed down to that icy rutted mess. That's very likely to send you careening off the road. And for a car that big, I mean, it's big, it's substantial. It doesn't get away from you. I was truly impressed driving it on the highway like that because I, you know, I thought, okay, I gotta have, I gotta, go where I need to go today. It's going to be kind of sloppy. I'll take it easy. I wasn't even nervous. It was, there was no sense of the car getting away from you and big vehicles will do that in that kind of snow. Yeah. I know the whole four wheel drive thing makes them better, but there's that heaviness when you hit a rut and it tosses you to the left or tosses you to the right. Suddenly all that weight is not your friend. Cause it really throws you, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I felt the same way with the, the Escalade, and that's about as much as I'm going to say about the Escalade because we talked about it last week. But I think this generation of uh, GM SUV feels really uh, not necessarily nimble, but um, light on its feet in a way that you wouldn't expect. You know, it still feels heavy, but it, it feels um, wieldy instead of unwieldy. Yeah, there's a there, like big vehicles can feel kind of cumbersome. I mean, you know, you have the four wheel drive so that you're you have better traction and you have the ground clearance so that, you know, you're not going to get stuck in that, you know, one foot snow bank at the end of your driveway. But they can when they when you start to lose control or things are sloppy, they're not fun to drive. They can be challenging. And this actually is very controlled. It was very wieldy. I'm going to use that word wieldy. now. Yeah. Um, it was very wieldy. <laughs> so you don't feel you don't have that, you know, that suddenly you're like left, right, left, right. Whoa, let me get back ease up and get back in control that didn't happen once and the drive that i went on was probably an hour i had to drive to get where i was going in that kind of 
messy, sloppy snow. So I was I was impressed. It was nice. Um, did you have the the five point three liter V eight or the the diesel? I had the five three. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, how's that? Because I I I haven't tried it with that engine, and I I does it feel underpowered? Is it you know, what's it like economy wise? How does it do? No, I, it, it does not feel underpowered. I mean, when you, when you want to move, it moves, you know, driving low speeds, cities, whatever. But when you're on the highway and you really want to hammer that gas to get some, some, get it to move, it goes, I mean, you feel you've, again, you feel the weight of this. It's not a small vehicle. Nothing is going to make you feel like you're in a sports car in this thing. Like, you know, you're in a great big beast of an SUV, but it never had that sense of feeling that you hit the gas and had to think. I, I hate that, that sort of lag where you're like, okay, come on, what I want is for you to go because I'm trying to merge, come on, come on. It never does that. Um, it really does move. And what I liked about it is that it's quiet. Like it's not luxury car, you know, Mercedes Benz, can't hear anything outside your windows, don't know the world exists kind of quiet, but it is very quiet. You don't hear that big engine working when you hit the gas, which this is going to carry people. You're not in a sports car. It's people mover. And you want to be able to talk to the people in the third row without screaming yourself hoarse. Do you? And do you really? Yeah. Family car? <laughs> Get in the back. You, know? <laughs> you obviously don't have, you know, adult children that are gone, you know, when, you know, when they're, when they're, when they're still young, you know, oh, I mean, when they, when they come back like that, you actually, you want to talk to them. I, know. I have one that's in college. She could come back. She could sit in the back. I could chat with her. That's, that's, I've, I'm, I actually like to tell, we have teenagers now, so I do like it when they actually deign to speak to us. It's great. Um, right. When they finally say like, Hey dad, you're like, Whoa, she, they spoke. Yeah. She acknowledged my existence. <laughs> so what makes the, what makes the premiere? Like, how is it uh, equipped? Um, cause I, you can get it cheaper and you can get it more expensive. What does it come? You with? can get it. Yeah. Cause they have the, the, you can definitely get more expensive, but I think with this one, you're getting a pretty good range of stuff. I mean, you're getting like a Bose audio system. Oh, there's a 10.2 inch infotainment screen like it's a pretty giant infotainment wow. screen yeah it's huge which is nice I, especially so you know you have infotainment screens what's the smallest ones are like i think still five inches six inches yeah like toyota yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah like these really tiny screens and it's hard enough when you're in a small car and the screen isn't that far away from you suddenly you're sitting behind the wheel of something this big with a huge front seat and you have a tiny screen and you're like i have no idea what that says like you right. can't reach it you can't read it this is huge so it's it's nice to have a screen this big in a car this like this um and you have also there's like wireless charging and it, it you know power seats it has all the kind of bells and whistles that you'd expect in something that's going to run seventy one thousand dollars and i was looking the delivery <laughs> for that price tag what's that i said it better for that price point right and you were talking about the pricing delivery on the ford stuff earlier this one destination charge was uh thirteen hundred dollars Okay, so that's actually less, though. I mean, when yeah. you think, I wonder what it is on their pickup trucks because probably the Ford same. Sixteen ninety five. Yeah, so it's a chunk. I mean, that's it's you know five. It's a lot, but it's not nearly as much. I mean, as as some of the others, right? Do. but no, they are definitely they are absolutely getting up there. Mm -hmm. I yeah. What I mean, one of the things I like about the GM the GM vehicles, these full size SUVs, is. There and we've talked about this before. I think when I had the the, the Chevy Suburban Diesel, these are purpose built. You know, this is for a specific lifestyle, a specific type of probably family that they need the capabilities. They need the towing capacity. They need 
you know, maybe that four by four off-road capability, they live, you know, up a dirt road, like they need the capabilities. And that's why I'm an advocate for having these types of vehicles in the, in, in the showroom. Like you don't have to buy this vehicle. There's plenty of others that you can buy, but I just love the fact that they're still available in that truck-based, super capable, large SUV that people need. I mean, they, a lot of people buy these because they actually need them. Well, it's, it's interesting because people tend to sort of rail against the idea that you buy, well, same thing, people who buy a pickup truck and they're like, you never haul anything but air, you know, you don't need it. And people do the same thing to the large SUV. Why do you need that SUV? You don't have the Brady Bunch for a family. You don't need something that big, but you'd be surprised with how much space you sometimes do want. You have two kids, you have their friends in the car, suddenly you've got four kids riding along in there and the amount of stuff and if you're an active family, if you're someone who likes to go camping, you like to go on road trips, you like to do any kind of outdoorsy stuff, suddenly just a regular, you know, two row SUV feels ridiculously cramped. You want that third row, if not for people, you want that room for cargo and you really truly use it. The few times that I had big cars like this when we did camping when the girls were little, suddenly it was just, oh, I get why you would want this with a family, yep. even if you don't have four, five, six kids, just to be able to think, I don't have to pack everything like playing a game of Tetris. I can just put it all in the back because there's plenty of room. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, and there's that argument too, that like, why do you need the SUV for that? You know, you can get a lot, the same amount of space or more, more efficiently in a minivan. And that's true. And it's an option and you should look at it. But if you're going to do that space plus towing something, then you're, you. Now you, you're in a whole different use case. And, right. And you need the SUV for the towing. If right. you're going to tow something big. Yeah. yeah. Or Any, anything more than like, a, you know, a pop-up trailer. Right. Yeah. And, and like pop-ups, there's, there are, you know, things that you can tow that are pretty light. Um, but you really don't want to get to the edge of your towing capacity and, and, you know, minivans, I'm assuming that the, the most a minivan is going to tow is probably like 3,500 pounds. That's not a ton. It's enough for, for a lot of stuff. But, uh, if you've got a small camper or a boat that you use on one of the lakes or, uh, snow, you know, a minivan can definitely do snowmobiles. Those aren't that bad, but, uh, you find real quickly that you you have run it out of capacity plus you know towing capacity plus payload with with people and stuff um they're just not they're not designed for it and you can if you are comfortable with being reckless you can go over the towing capacity that's your choice but um <laughs> i don't not recommend i don't it. recommend yeah. it on the podcast but, um you know, the other thing with with minivans like yeah they're they're like sort of like the ultimate family hauler right because your kids can just fling the door open and hop right in it's not like they have to reach up and grab a handle yeah. that's you know five inches above their head and i do love minivans don't get me wrong yeah like, right and I, there's and you can get all-wheel drive minivans out there but the one thing you don't get in a minivan because i have done this i have is they're lower. They just don't have the ground clearance of an SUV. Mm -hmm. So when it comes time to just have to plow through, like I said, if you're doing any kind of anything where you're even like a, a dirt road, that's a little bit rough, you know, where you've got some ruts. If you're going, if you're going into a field to park the car at a fair, if it's the wrong kind of field, you know, and if there's snow and you try to get through a driveway, you're probably going to get through the snowbank in your Tahoe. You might not get through the snowbank in your minivan just because it's low enough they're just going to get stuck four wheel drive or all wheel drive or no, it's going to get stuck in a, in an SUV probably isn't because it's higher. Yeah. And we 
have the choice <laughs> to yeah, purchase. I mean, this, this is why manufacturers <laughs> make all these different form factors because, you know, everybody needs, everybody has different needs. You know, if you live in New Hampshire and, and need to go through four foot snowbanks, you, that's why you have Tahoes. You know, <laughs> if you, if you live somewhere where it's warm and you don't have that need, then a minivan is a, maybe a better choice, you know, yeah. or, or, you know, or a Miata, you know. Well, it's, it's truly <laughs> the, uh, the right choice. But, well, you know, you know the, the SUV other... can tow the Miata too, the racetrack. So you that's, can, that's true. Um, the, or you could just drive the Miata to the track. Well, I mean, you, you when you get serious, uh, <laughs> but the thing that I love about the big SUVs is that they, they really are like, um, an all purpose vehicle. Yeah. Sometimes you're carrying around. Uh, more capability than you're using but when you need that capability it's there some of its comfort again we have the choice to pay for the comfort that we use and um the efficiency thing and the uh the impact on the environment isn't my favorite thing to think about so we're getting more options and we can choose more wisely about that that's that's coming um Make your own peace with that, <laughs> I suppose. Yeah, before long, we're going to have electric, you know, full-size yeah. SUVs. I mean, they're, they are coming in the next couple of years. And they're so much more efficient than they used to be. Oh, they yeah. Are. I mean, yeah. we still under well, deactivation what, with what, what kind of fuel economy did you get, Nicole? Oh, you know what? I'm going to be honest. I didn't check the fuel economy okay. in it. I, I didn't look, so I don't even have an answer for you. Sorry. My guess would be it's in when, the teens. When I, when I had the Yukon Denali a couple of months ago, I think I got like 14 with it, 14 or 15. But right. that was with the 6.2. Yeah. And then also we got the we have the diesel version and it and yeah. if you can fit six people and only take one vehicle rather than four people and a second vehicle, that's also something. Whoa, to whoa, think whoa. About. Now you're starting to make the case for trains. <laughs> <laughs> There's always a case for trains. Yeah. I love trains. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's that's true. And you know, um, like Nicole said, like we I sort of fell in love with the big SUVs for the same reason. Like when we, if we were to go somewhere with all, you know, there's only four of us, but you know, you've got the dog, the dog's a member of the family. If you want to go somewhere for like a weekend, well, you got to pack the, the kennel for the, the little, the, the crate thing. Crate. Yep. Yeah. It doesn't fit in everything, you know, barely fits in the, the back of the Grand Cherokee and I, it, you know, it folds flat. So I put everything on top of it, but then you've got like full luggage, full back seat, full in the front. And you get like, you know, here's the thing for snacks and you just you wind up really cramped even in a mid-size vehicle so having that extra space is is nice and so if you can spring for 70 grand so you get some more square footage it's it's uh i, I, just, I like them oh, i was just looking to see like okay so the premiere is the top the ls you can get into it with a four-wheel drive for 53 right so that's a pretty big swing you know it's a, it's a big difference so if you aren't concerned about caps and chairs and leather seats and uh, some of the bells and whistles 53 for a vehicle that size with the capability. It's really about the versatility. You can, whatever it is, whether it's people or whether it's cargo or whether it's putting your dog in the dog crate in the back or towing some huge, heavy piece of equipment, you have a lot of options for that price, Yep. you know? And that's, you know, I think that's actually the same reason why people buy the big pickup trucks now too, because the crew cabs are the most popular form and, the reason why it's so popular is because they're freaking huge. They got an enormous back seat and you can put dirty crap in the back if you need to in the, in the bed. And so it's, it's two thirds of an SUV and you don't have to worry about getting the interior messy if you need to, to, you know, put dirt bikes in it or something, you know, it's uh, so it's great. Um, they're popular for a reason. Purpose built. Yeah. Um, all right. So moving on, uh, Sam, 
you want you had the Maki, and this dovetails nicely with getting into uh, topics. So uh, you had the Maki in the cold. <laughs> yeah, so you know, kind of overlapped a bit with with when Rebecca had it. We talked about it last week. You know, Rebecca's experience with it, but I wanted to focus on you know cold weather performance with EVs, and you know this is this is a real issue um, because. You know, with something like a Tahoe, you know, in winter weather in New Hampshire, you know, one of the advantages, you know, obviously it's a disadvantage in, in many respects, but one of the advantages of a big internal combustion engine is it's a source of waste heat. You know, that engine generates a lot of heat that is not transformed into into usable power to move the vehicle, but it's great if you need to heat the cabin. And, you know, because you can just run that, that coolant from the engine through a heat exchanger in the cabin, warm up the cabin, wonderful. And it doesn't, that doesn't put any extra load on that engine. Uh, although there are other things about cold weather driving that do put extra load on it. Uh, like, you know, your, your rolling resistance goes up and things like that. That just heats it up faster. <laughs> with, with an electric vehicle, you don't have that source of waste heat, which means that if you don't warm up the car in advance, um, you know, if you want to raise the temperature from, let's say, for example, six degrees Fahrenheit up to, you know, um, something more comfortable like 65, uh, that takes a lot of energy. And you're pulling that straight out of the battery because you're going to have to run some sort of either a heat pump or a resistance heater to heat up the air in the cabin uh, and also run your seat heaters and things like that. So uh, this is this is why, you know, if you have an EV, you know, in winter weather, you can generally count on range dropping by you know, roughly 30 to 40 percent you know, of, of whatever it's rated at. So in the case of the Mach-E I was driving is an all wheel drive extended range. It's officially EPA rated at 270 miles of range. Um, realistically, you can expect to get maybe, you know, in, in winter weather performance, uh, 160 to 170 miles at the most, um, which you know, truthfully, for almost everybody, you know, if you're plugging it in every day, you know, plugging it in at night when you come home, that's more than adequate. That's more than almost anybody needs for their daily driving. You know, long distance, you know, road trips is another story. But for your daily driving, that's that's more than sufficient. So what um, what I did uh, when I had the Maki, the the first full day I had it. I took it out for a long drive to, to evaluate the range, you know, and that that first day, it, it started off at about 20 degrees in the morning when I left. And um, I had I had it plugged in overnight and I used a feature that all EVs have, which is the ability to precondition the cabin. Uh, so when the car is plugged in, you can program it. You can say, this is the time I want to leave. So I want to leave at 830 and I want it warm. And what happens is while it's still plugged in. It's actually, you know, at say seven forty-five, eight o'clock, it's going to start. It's going to start up the vehicle, or at least start up the heating system, and start warming the cabin up to, you know, your predefined temperature. And you know, it's doing that while it's still plugged in, so it's not taking juice from the battery, which is great. And then you can just go and uh, you can drive, you know, and you you still have a lot more of your range. And so I spent the next several hours driving it. I drove 164 miles um, you know, when I left, you know, with the car already pre-warmed. Uh, and I left the, the, the climate control at about 62 um, and also used the seat heaters, which 62? are. 62? 
Yikes. While the, the seat seat heaters and steering wheel <laughs> heater are much more efficient for keeping you comfortable. You know, it's a much more effective because it's right in contact with your body. So even at 62, I was still comfortable in the car. Every once in a while, I would turn it up a little bit, warm it up a little, and then turn it back down. But for the most part, I just used the seat heaters and the, the steering wheel heater. And my hands and my backside were nice and warm. And it was comfortable. I got 164 miles out of it. Still had 81 miles of range left on the oh. meter when I got back. So that's 254 miles or 245. That's amazing. Yeah, you know, 245 miles. And, you know, and it was about 30 degrees by the time I got home. So that's, that's actually really impressive. You know, so, I mean, in moderate weather conditions, you know, you should easily be able to get 300 miles or more out of one of these things, you know, unless you're, you know, blasting around, you know, back roads and, you know, really, um, you know, driving it like a Mustang, you know, if you're just driving <laughs> it like a, you know, like a regular vehicle, you know, just daily commuting, 300 miles of range is absolutely very realistic in, in warm weather conditions. Um, but you will, with an EV, you will get less range. And, you know, on subsequent days when the temperature got significantly colder and it was down into the, the single digits overnight, you know, even, even with preconditioned, you know, when I got up in the morning, uh, and went out and took a look at it, it was showing, you know, 160, 170 miles of available range when I unplugged it, uh, even at a hundred percent charge. So, um, that's, that is something that you absolutely need to keep in mind. So if you're going to have an EV in cold weather climates, make sure you take advantage of the preconditioning functions. You know, if you're, if you're commuting, you know, or even, you know, even if you're not commuting, you know, even, even if you're only going out sporadically, you know, if you know you're going to be going out in an hour, you can just go in the app, you know, tell it to, to warm it up, you know, say, okay, I want to leave in 45 minutes, tell it to warm it up while it's still plugged in. And that'll help your range a lot. Yeah. I wonder, I assume that it's the same in hot weather. The same, the same, as, the same is true of hot weather. Yeah. yeah. If, it, if it's really hot, you can, you can actually have it turn the air conditioning on and cool it down before you leave. Yeah. I remember talking to um, somebody from a manufacturer who shall remain nameless and they were doing hot weather testing in the Middle East when I was there. And they said that the results were pretty miserable um, and really struggling to get any kind of any kind of decent range, but this was also, you know, seven, six, seven years ago. And so I think they've done a lot of work in compensating for that. And just that thing. And, you know, I was um, in these four products that we've all kind of uh, had recently. One of the things I really like, and it's just, it's a silly feature, but it's just a, it's that emotional solution I've talked about before where the, when the, when it's you know 19 degrees outside <laughs> and you get in the car and you turn it on and the heated seats are still on and the steering wheel is still you know it's kind of like you know it's almost like a it senses the outdoor temperature and says you probably want this mm -hmm. <laughs> on you know i like the fact that i don't always have to go back and put the heater on again and put the steering wheel on again it's like you should know that <laughs> um, now one thing i was wondering with the app because I know like my little Coco, my Buick Encore, I know I have that same kind of like you can start it up and all these different things. And I never remember. Can it work with your calendar or like your app to say or ways to say, wow. hey, we know that you're, you know, you're going to be driving soon. Do you want me to precondition your Ford Mustang Mach-E? Uh, and if it doesn't, it should, and I, I'll take the royalties on that. I, 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 I don't think I don't think the 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 Ford 
app, the Ford Pass app does that yet. It doesn't do calendar syncing, um, but I think that is something that's in development. Um, but you can, you know, like if you have a regular schedule, you know, if you're not like us and, you know, you, you leave for work at you know, you roughly the same job. time. Nobody uh, leaves for work, for work anymore. Roughly <laughs> the same time every day. Yeah. You can go in the app and you can set up a schedule. So you can say oh, nice. Monday, Monday to Friday, you know, I'm leaving at 730 every morning yeah. you know, and I want it warm. You know, or okay. cool or whatever, you know, whichever is appropriate, um, you know, or weekends, you know, nine o'clock, you know, if I want to go do some grocery shopping on Saturday morning, things like that. So right. you can set up a schedule. Um, and so it it's not syncing directly to your calendar, your other calendars yet. But I think that's that's something we will see in the not too distant future, especially, you know, a couple of years from now, you know, when Ford starts rolling out um, uh, their next generation sync system that has. Uh, that's based on Android Automotive, you know, because mm. that's going to have full support for all the Google apps. So if you're, at least if you're using Google Calendar um, or, you know, or other calendar apps that are running, you know, that it can run right on the car, you know, then it'll have you can you can give it access to all that stuff. They're going to know where you are and what you're doing at yeah. all times. Well, they already know where you are, and what you're doing, because um, all the cars are connected. Yeah. You know, but your, your cell phone provider knows where you are all the time. The, unless yeah. That's you, my feeling. Yeah. You know what? They know it already. I might as well take advantage yeah. of it. At least make my life easier. going to wrap yeah, my phone exactly. in roofing <laughs> as long, If they're going to if they're going to abuse us, they might as well you know give us something for it. It must be productive. Yeah. Um, but so, the, the, the apps that learn like there, I think Volvo and maybe BMW. And some of the other premium brands already do that, where they they use a little bit of AI to sort of learn your patterns mm-hmm. and um, provide information that might be useful to you. So, like uh, the Volvo app will say, "Hey, you know, I've detected there's a traffic whatever on your your normal route. Uh, you may want to plan ahead or, or something like that." So, it definitely exists. It just may not have trickled down to the super mainstream yet. Yeah, I have yeah. no problem with that. So there, there is one other thing I want to address as well. And again, you know, I mean, this this was something I experienced with the the Mach E, but it's it's a universal thing with EVs. Um, again, related to cold weather, and that's charging performance. So the Mach E supports charging from DC fast chargers at up to 150 kilowatts. You know, and at 150 kilowatts, you should be able to get you know to you know from basically you know empty to an 80 percent charge and between 35 and 40 minutes. Um, however, lithium ion batteries, you know, are very sensitive to temperature. If it's too hot or too cold, um, they don't like to take a charge. You know, they have a relatively, you know, they're like humans. They have a fairly narrow range of temperatures where they're comfortable, you know, usually somewhere in the range of 40 to 75 degrees Fahrenheit. And if it's, if you're outside of that band, um, they don't like to be charged as fast. They won't, they just, they simply won't take a charge as fast. Um, or if you do try to force it, you know, it, it can damage the battery. So uh, when I went to take the Mach-E to my local um, Electrify America charging station, you know, just a few minutes away from me here and plug it in to, to top it off, uh, I found that it would, uh, you know, because the temperature was about, I don't know, 15 degrees or so at the time, it would not charge it over like 48 kilowatts, which is about one third of its rated speed. So to, to do a full charge on it would have taken over an hour and a half, almost almost two hours to do. That's that's what I found when I was at the charge point one. It was going to be almost four hours. Yeah. 
it actually didn't give it. I didn't know exactly how much it was going to be, but it was sub op. I charged for an yeah. hour and 15 minutes and got like 25 miles. I mean, it was painful. That may have been a, a different situation that, you know, there may have been a limit of the, the charger. Right. Um, the charge point sure. chart. I don't think charge point has 150 kilowatt chargers yet. Yeah, no, it was, um, it was a level two. Oh yeah. Okay. That's why. Yeah. Um, but you know, this was a level three DC fast charger and it still would have taken over an hour and a half to fully charge, uh, at those temperatures. And, you know, again, this is something that manufacturers are working to address, you know? So one of the things that Ford's working on, that's going to be in an upcoming, uh, over the air update for the Mach-E is, um, preconditioning the battery. So if you, you know, if you put, if you go in the nav and, you know, point it to a charging station, you know, you want to go charge it up and say, okay, I'm going to the charging station. So it knows that you're going to charge it. Um, it will actually um, manage the, the cooling system of the battery to heat it up, to bring it up to a temperature where it can take a charge at a faster rate. So then when you get there, then you can just plug it in and it'll start charging, you know, at, you know, 150 kilowatts instead of at 45 kilowatts. Uh, so you'll get that charge in there much faster because the battery has already been pre-warmed. But if it's been sitting overnight in your driveway, you know, or sitting outside for, for a couple of hours, um, you know, in those kinds of temperatures and cold soak, then, you know, it's going to take a while to warm up that battery to a temperature where it can take that charge. So, so that is, that is again, something to be aware of, you know, and this is, this is a universal EV issue when you live in cold weather climates like this. Um, or, or similarly in hot weather climates, you know, they'll, they'll cool down the battery to, to the degree they can so that it can take a charge faster. But I did, I did experience, you know, the plug in charge with, uh, with the Mach-E. This is a new standard that was just finalized last year and electrify America is the first charging network to implement it. Uh, Ford, Volkswagen, Porsche, um, are all, you know, they're, they're all putting that into their EVs now into the software. So, um, when you get one of these vehicles, you can set up your Ford pass account, you know, log in, put in payment information, uh, you know, just put in your credit card or your debit card into the Ford pass account. And then I pulled up, you know, they, um, the, the car was already set up with a Ford pass account from Ford. Uh, they had already pre-configured it. So I didn't have to do that. Um, you pull up, plug it in wait about 30 seconds while it, the charger communicates with the car, authenticates your account, and then it just starts charging. You don't have to mess around with any RFID tags or you know putting in your credit card information or anything, you know, setting up any kind of account. You do it one time you know, when you get the car, and then you never have to worry about it again. So uh, hopefully all the other charging networks will be implementing this over the, over the next couple of years. So I think, that, great. I think that people are focused on the range number a little bit um, like as a distraction because the range is, is mostly going to be fine for what you're doing. Well, I, th I, th I think, it you know, the range concerns were a legitimate concern, you know, eight, 10 years ago when we had got the first generation Nissan Leafs and Focus Electrics and things like that, that had, I do remember you know, driving 70, a Leaf in the winter and being like, oh man, miles of range <laughs> yeah. Yeah. on and the highway, just watching it go down. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, fir the first time, the first time I had a Leaf, you know, I had 74 miles of range and I was supposed to go to Detroit. I live 35 miles from Detroit and you barely you know, I, was going, I was going to a baseball <laughs> game with, with the folks from Nissan. And I went to look for where there was uh, where there was a charger near Comerica Park, 
And it turns out that, you know, there were two level two chargers a couple of blocks away from the baseball stadium. But I had no idea, you know, if they were actually going to be available, what, uh, you know, what what kind of condition they were in. Um, and, you know, so I, I looked at it and said, well, I've got 70 mile round trip. I got 74 miles of range. When I come back, it's going to be dark. The headlights are going to be on, also consuming more power. I think I'm going to leave the leaf in the driveway and take my Mustang. (laughs) So I think, well, and also, you know, I heard a great stat one time. They're like, when you think about when the low fuel light goes on in your car, you've got like two to three gallons left. And that's like 60 miles. And, you know, 60, 75 miles. And so you're driving with your low fuel light on always in right. you know, the older well, EVs. And that's enough to, you know, to give you engine. <laughs> yeah, well, and, and that's that's the thing about current generation EVs, you know, like the Mach-E, the Chevy Bolt, Teslas, everything that's coming out now has going to have, you know, 200 plus miles of range. So even in these cold weather environments, you know, if you've got, if you've got something that has a nominal 200 mile range, you're still looking at 130 miles of range, even in this kind of weather. So it's really not an issue for almost anybody anymore. So I, I I don't think the range is an issue. Uh, But like I said, there are absolutely things that you can and should do to mitigate it to the degree you can like preconditioning it, um, you know, for either hot or cold and, you know, be aware that it's going to take you longer to charge. It's Absolutely. it's weird to me how range, like you said, originally range really was an issue when you had 70 miles of range. It was like driving with your, you know, low fuel level light on all the time, but it's been such a long while since that was what the typical range was. And somehow it's like stuck in everyone's head. I I can talk to any random consumer about EVs and the first, like friends, whatever. And the first thing they say, yeah, yeah. But the range, I'm like, how far do you typically drive in a day? Unless you're really (laughs) on a road trip, how often do you need to drive 200 miles in your average day and are you driving to the middle of nowhere where there's not a single place where you could just top that off just a little bit if you needed to i mean but somehow that that got into the collective consciousness of everybody that evs don't have the range you need you're never going to make it there are only two charging stations in the entire nation you have (laughs) to find those to charge your car and that's been hard to shake like no matter how much they say hey there's extended range batteries and even the not extended range batteries give you huge amounts of range. All anyone hears is there's not enough range. I'm going to run out of juice. I'm going to be stuck on the side of the road. I don't know how, how they shake that. I don't know what campaign needs to happen to convince people. It isn't the issue. It was 10 years ago. Yeah. Yeah, It's, it's a, you know, it is a tough challenge. Um, You know, I think, you know, manufacturers are starting to try and tackle that part of it, you know, is just having these longer, ever longer range vehicles, you know, but there's, you know, then there's the, you know, the trade-off with cost and weight, you know, so, um, you know, I think GM with what they're, with what they're going to be doing this year with their everybody in campaign for their new EVs, I think, you know, that's one of the things that they're going to try to address this year. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think, you know, I've said it before, but we haven't made the argument for how an EV is better, is a a better solution for mobility needs than internal combustion. Well, I'll I'll give you one. Okay, you plug in your car at night and, you know, when you have when you're leaving in the morning, you unplug it. 
you don't have to go stand at a gas station when it's 15 degrees out and pump <laughs> pump fuel into your car. <laughs> well, you don't enjoy that in your garage because <laughs> otherwise you're you're schlepping through the snow and ice and cold well, I mean, and even, rain even, and everything. Even me, you know, I, I didn't have it in the garage. I had it parked in the driveway. Right. You know, I just I just pull out the cord and drape it over my garbage bin. You yeah. know, and <laughs> you know, and then drive off. You know, so no, I mean, but, it, it yeah, takes me five seconds it. to unplug it and. I know. I'm not saying that they're not. It's just we haven't made that argument to the yeah. general public. Right. So there I mean, that that is an absolute advantage, you know, not not having to stand there you know, at a gas station when it's that cold. By all means. <laughs> My favorite thing, and it's about EVs and I everyone knows they're quiet. Everyone knows they don't have an engine, but really you don't appreciate not having the engine until you're trying to start your car early and your family still asleep and your engine is sound suddenly sounds like a freight train when you turn the ignition, right? Not having that, not waking up your neighbors. We have a neighbor who has a um, very loud unnamed vehicle. That guy goes to work at like five o'clock every morning. And I hear that. I wouldn't hear him if he had an EV. And on a weird note, I drove, it was a plug-in hybrid, so not an EV, but still you have that, you know, low speed running an electric only thing. We were in a national park and all the animals stayed put because ah, you your engine. Nice. You can see everything. I'm like, this is the weirdest side benefit is that like, it awesome. you're traveling, like the little deer were running and fleeing from everybody else here come a little plug-in hybrid. They're like, hey, they didn't move. So it was really, there's all these weird side benefits to the quiet. That's National great. National park mode. Yeah, exactly. Park that mode. should be a mode on the vehicle. Or, or j- jack lighting mode. Um, you get arrested for that. That's, I'm so. I always have to go dark. I don't know why. Um. <laughs> you know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Let's move on into topics. Um, but first, before we do that, uh, Nicole, I know you introduced yourself at the top of the show, but um, we should give you a chance to sort of tell our audience who you are, where to find your stuff, what you do, um, you know, all of those those uh, self-promotion-y things. Okay, all the self-promotion things. Thank you. I actually, I freelance. So I write for um, a bunch of different outlets online. I write for Car Expert. I write for Auto by Tell. I write for Rebecca Drives. <laughs> That's um, the big one. <laughs> that was a big one. I should have led with that. Um, exactly. I don't know what I was thinking. Um, I also write for uh, the Boston Globe and the guys over at Car Talk. So I'm kind of all over the place. Um, and I'm pretty active on social media too. It's just my name, Nicole Wakeland. If you Google that, you will find me on Instagram and Twitter and you'll find my website, which is just NicoleWakeland.com. So I'm really kind of, I'm kind of all over the place. Do a lot of different stuff, reviews and first drives back when in the before times when those were a thing. Um, 
Yeah. <laughs> and, and so like, uh, is there a particular in, New in Nashua, New Hampshire? I'm in, yeah. I'm in New Hampshire. So I'm about an hour North of Boston. Yes. Um, and ta- tax free, uh, <laughs> Tax-free New Hampshire. Woohoo! Um, is there a particular like perspective that you come at with this? Because the the I mean, I'm sure you will you will note as uh, Rebecca. I'm sure you will also note uh, the auto journalism industry is kind of dude heavy. Um, is there a particular thing that you? <laughs> Which is better than heavy dudes. Right. Uh, <laughs> well, we have some of those, too. There's those, too. Yeah. Is there a particular perspective that you feel like is is missing that you kind of try to um, put into your coverage? It's. I don't know that it's necessarily a woman perspective or a not dude perspective, but what I try to put in my coverage is that, you know, we can all talk tech and numbers and talk in circles about that at a level that the average consumer is never going to gather. Um, most people don't, you know, there's gearheads that are really into that, but I think it's important to talk to people in reviews in a way that is relatable, you know, the things that are going to matter and give them just enough numbers to make when it, when it makes sense, this engine has X horsepower, this engine has X times two. So just to give them enough for it to make sense, but just, Giving the level of detail that some reviews give, I feel like sometimes it does a disservice because people tune out. So I like to write reviews that give the key features for the person who's going to want that car. What's the family person going to want from their SUV? What's the, you know, what's the person buying a new little starter crossover for their college kid? What is it? What matters to the college kid? Does it have what it needs? So I try to write reviews that are relatable because I think that's something important. I think sometimes reviews go over people's heads because they get too focused on on tech and numbers and details that really aren't something that a large percentage of the population understands or that matters to them or is relatable. Completely agree. Like here's the numbers. <laughs> here's why it's good. Uh, yeah. Here's where you should care. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, let's, uh, let's jump in then and, and talk about some numbers. Um, we can stick with the Mach-E for a minute because uh, we had a, a listener write in, with questions about Mach E buying. And so we've talked the car up on the show. And if you want to go get one, you've got to deal with your local Ford dealer who, you know, uh, should be a nice experience. They should know what they're doing with it, but apparently uh, you can run into some challenges still. Yeah. So um, Adam Jackowenko, who I, I don't think has ever written to us before, at least no. not since last week, <laughs> um, <laughs> wrote to us. Uh, he wanted, says, I wanted to share my EV shopping experience recently, as I think it highlights a problem with EV adoption that uh, sometimes doesn't get much attention. Usually here we hear things like range, charging network and even build quality when people talk about EVs. But what struck me is the dealer experience. Uh, in my EV shopping, what I'm finding is a big difference between Tesla and other EVs, and that's dealers. Tesla's buying, and Tesla buying is technically pretty easy. No haggling, no hours at a dealership. Pick what you want and do everything online. Uh, the sales process is relatively simple in my experience. What I'm finding in shopping for Ford's new EV, the Mach-E, is that this fasc- is this fascinating paradox where dealers are simultaneously woefully unprepared for how to sell the vehicle, yet very prepared to take advantage of you, and it creates a very bad buying experience. I've spoken with Ford dealers in my area with Mach-E's available for purchase. I've asked them about Ford Options, which is a new financing plan available specifically on the Mach-E and, and what I plan to utilize. <clears throat> it, uh, it's clearly listed on Ford's website. Only one of the four dealers had a clue what Ford Options was. I had to re- explain it to the rest. Um, and he, he drops a link in here, and I'll include that in the show notes. 
Uh, and then I asked if they participate in the clean, the California Clean Fuel Reward, which provides a $1,500 discount right off the top of a new EV in California. Not a rebate, but an actual discount at time of purchase, which technically I think is a rebate, not but not like a mail-in rebate. But at any rate. Is, is that dealer, a, like a rebate that goes rebate or tax credit? Yeah, it's not. It's not tax like credit. That. Does it go to the um, dealer? Yeah, though? Like, is it something that the dealer has to? You know, like the person gets the the price lowered, but the dealer has stuff well, to do the, to get yeah, it. Yeah, this this it goes right on. The dealer has to sign up with the program to participate, but otherwise, it's designed to be a seamless discount for the customer. I think the way it works is that for um, dealers that sign up. You know, they take the fifteen hundred dollars off the the purchase price, and they get reimbursed by the state uh, for right, that. So they have to wait for their money instead of the customer waiting for their money. <laughs> exactly. So um, only two of the four dealers are participating, and one of them never heard of the program. I had to send them the information on how to sign up. For a buyer in California, it wouldn't make any sense to purchase an EV from a dealer who wasn't participating, as you're losing out on an easy $1,500 discount. Absolutely. But you know who is on that list? Every Tesla store in California. Um, yet, for all of their lack of knowledge about selling an EV, dealers know one thing very well, that demand is high. So, they were Johnny, they were Johnny on the spot when it came to marking up the car. One dealer in my area had a $15,000 markup on a Mach-E current available. Where is Adam again? Do we know? Uh, like somewhere California. in California. He didn't, yeah, he didn't specify. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's a small state. It, you know. <laughs> anyway, uh, another I spoke with told me he wa- the markup was $5,000, but he'd knock off $1,500, so it'd only be $3,500. How nice of him. While dealer markups are not exclusive to EVs, there are intricacies to purchasing an EV that don't exist in the gas car world, and many dealers seem to be stuck in the past or unwilling or unable to help customers navigate these waters, but perfectly ready to take advantage of you when possible. So I feel like this is a bit of a problem. If we want people to adopt EVs, nobody likes going to a car dealership to begin with. But even if there were a very high-profile EV like the Mach-E, the manufacturer can't effectively educate dealers, and dealers aren't, aren't going to make the effort to understand how to sell these cars or make it easy. What can we do? So, oh, that's a lot. This, this, <laughs> this is the dealers are a known issue, and this is exactly why Tesla refused to sign up franchise dealers to set up a franchise dealer network. They, I, I you know, think they there's a bunch of reasons. Direct. Like well, that's- <laughs> this is, but I mean, I mean, I remember, you know, back in 2007 when they were just getting going, talking to Daryl Siri, who was their senior VP of marketing at the time when they first announced this. I mean, this is before Elon was CEO when he was just their chief investor and, and chairman of the board. You know, Daryl told me at the time, you know, this, this was one of the primary reasons why they were setting up, you know, company stores because they didn't, they didn't want to have to deal with this nonsense with dealers because the problem, you know, the, the challenge of the franchise dealer system, there are advantages to it. But one of the big challenges of it, these are independent businesses separate from the car makers. Once, you know, they are actually buying the cars from the, the manufacturer, from the factory and then selling them on, you know, they're buying them at a wholesale price, selling them to consumers. Once they have possession of that car, they can do basically whatever the hell they want. You know, they can add on any markups, they can discount it, they, you know, they can, you know, force you to pay for undercoating and, you know, all kinds of other nonsense. And this is this is why, you know, manuf- manufacturers have been trying to find a way to work around this problem, you know, because in states in, in most states in the country, there are laws that prohibit manufacturers from selling directly to consumers. They have to go through a franchise dealer. And there are limits on what they can force the dealers to do. 
Um, for, for what it's worth, I did pass this email along to a couple of my contacts at Ford. Um, and I, as, as we were talking earlier, I got a note back from, from, uh, Mike Levine and he's passing it on to the, the folks in marketing, but you know, this, this is a, a real issue. And this is one of the reasons why when Ford announced the Mach-E, one of the things they did was they created this online ordering system. I mean, you know, Adam, you know, went to dealers, you know, trying to buy something off the lot. Uh, but you can also just go directly, you know, to Ford.com and GM's doing the same thing with the Hummer. And, and I think they're going to be doing it with some of their other upcoming EVs where you can go through the whole order process. And basically, you know, at the end, you select a local dealer that you're going to take delivery from, but you can do all of the stuff online. You know, the last part of the transaction has to happen at the dealer, but all the other stuff up front, you can do online before you ever interact with the dealer. Now, the, the problem with that is, you know, because you're ordering direct from the factory, you're not you're not buying out of a dealer's inventory. You know, you're you're ordering a car. And so there could be a wait, you know, and when you've got something like the Mach-E where there's a, a backlog, you know, that wait could be several months. You know, and if you if you want to buy something today, then, you know, you basically have to go to a dealer to do that. Relax wait <laughs> yeah no, but i mean i think that's what what's difficult also is a lot of consumers don't realize that the manufacturer doesn't have control over the distribution the dealer every dealer experience is different because they're even though manufacturers have dealer training and dealer courses and everything it still is that's an individual business that the dealer owns, not the manufacturer. And so this is why it's, and this is also why it's very challenging. If a dealer doesn't want to sell an EV, people will go in and say, I want to buy an EV. No, you don't. You know, take this that's already on their lot because mm -hmm. they're paying up for that. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of opaque conflict between the manufacturer and the dealer and, and the manufacturer loses control at that dealer, at that point of the dealer. Now they can, you know, they can, they can quote punish or, you know, not cultivate that dealer by, you know, giving them cars that aren't easy to sell or not, you know, giving them first dibs and things like that. But then that can come back to haunt the manufacturer as well. So managing that relationship is really a full-time job for people to keep the dealer happy, but also make sure the dealer is representing the manufacturer in the appropriate way. And it, it's a big challenge. And it is exactly one of the many reasons why Tesla and some of the other newer brands that are coming out are not doing a traditional franchise dealership. The other thing is if you, if you want to close down a dealer, you have to go to that state and deal with the franchise laws in that individual state for that dealer. I, you know, GM was able to close down some of their dealerships when they declared bankruptcy because it was a it was a federal issue, and the the individual state federal state uh, franchise laws did not apply. But otherwise, you're 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 going to each state and dealing with the individual franchises. So it's a really messy, messy process. And, and you know, one of the, one of the things that GM has done recently, Cadillac did this. Um, you know, after they announced the Lyric. Um, they actually went to all their dealers. They had uh, Cadillac's got about 850 dealers and they said, look, <clears throat> Cadillac's going electric, whether you like it or not. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, by the end of the decade, we're going to be pretty much all electric. 
If you don't want to sell and support electric vehicles, fine. We'll give you an option to get out now. Get out now, yeah. You know, <laughs> if you don't want to make that investment in the training, the parts and the service, um, tell us now. We'll buy back your franchise. And they offered them up to $500,000 to buy back their franchise and, you know, and stop selling Cadillacs. And they, they had about 150 of their dealers that said, okay, fine, here you go. Give us, yeah. you know, give us a check. Yeah. And I mean, those are mostly dealers in smaller markets you know, that sell, you know, you know, probably in many cases, fewer than a couple of dozen car Cadillacs a year. You know, they're usually uh, dueled with some other brand. Um, you know, and they're, they're selling relatively few cars. So it wasn't worth it for them to make that investment for, you know, relatively small number of vehicles that they would have to support. And I think, you know, this is the sort of thing we're probably going to see more of going forward. We're going to see manufacturers say to dealers, you know, at least for a while, you know, until it gets to the, you hit a critical mass where, you know, they're just not going to have any option, but to sell EVs because that's all there's going to be available. Um, you know, they're, you know, they're probably going to have to do more of these kinds of arrangements of buying out dealers that don't want to sell or support these vehicles. For sure. But, you know, the, the markup is a whole, that's a whole separate issue from selling EVs. That's, that's something that too many dealers do, you know, on popular cars. And, you know, I think the, if a dealer is insisting on a markup, fine. Turn around, walk out. Right. Well, but so you I don't have to pay it. This is where I don't know. In my experience, and maybe you guys can speak to it as well. But um, in my experience, auto writers aren't necessarily new car buyers. So that's a blind spot for us, um, unless we talk to consumers and unless we sort of try the process. We're just we're not buying new cars on a regular basis. We're not in dealerships that often, so we don't run into that kind of you know, those kind of shenanigans. I certainly am taken aback when I read these stories. I'm just like, I would walk out. Like, you're not going to mark up the car. <laughs> like, you're making money on it already. If you want fatter margins, I get it. But like, I'm not where that margin's coming from. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> It is always fun, though, to go into dealerships, especially as women. Nicole and I can tell you, especially if we're by ourselves, how does that work? Like, do you have any stories you can share? I, oh, oh my God. I have, I literally just went, my daughter is in college and got a killer internship, which means she has to be at school, which now she has to get to that internship that doesn't have a bus. So we got to buy her a car. So we went running around a couple of weekends ago, trying to help her do that out where she's going to school. And, um, she's only ever driven my car and my husband's car and ridden in the back of a million press cars, but she doesn't have any kind of frame of reference. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's put you in a bunch of different vehicles so you can actually see what new cars feel like and see what these options feel like. So I walk in knowing exactly what I want her to drive. I don't, I don't need an explanation. No, that experience of walking into the dealership and having them be like that. Okay, little lady, let me show you how this works. I'm like, dude, I'm going to throttle you across this desk. <laughs> I had one guy try to mansplain to me how all wheel drive works. And I was like, all right. And, and my daughter said to me, she didn't like, know who I am. <laughs> well, my daughter said to me after she's like, mom, it's a good thing. He could only see your eyes over your mask because you have to wear the mask. If he had seen your face, oh, she's like, I could see how angry you were with him. Trying to explain to me, well, it's really not that important most of the time. You don't really need this. It doesn't really matter. She's in Wisconsin, by the way, <laughs> FYI. Wisconsin. I'm yeah. kind of like, 
it might matter here. Yeah, it um, matters in Wisconsin. So what kind yeah. of, what, what, did you get an Impreza? Or like a WRX? Or? Yeah, yeah, WRX, totally. No, I got her a Ford Mustang. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but going into these different dealerships, and it is a really, you know, I thought about, I was thinking about it as we were like three or four different places. I thought, my gosh, if you really don't have a handle on what you want to buy, if you don't understand, I thought I would not have gone where we went i would have known what to get i would have been easily suckered in by some of the stuff the sales guys were saying without knowing like dude that's totally not the case like and i only know because i'm a journalist but the way that there was one dealership that did not sort of do that talking down assuming that i didn't know anything only one out of the four that we went to so kia gets a gold star um all right. So, but it was, it was a frustrating experience. I had someone try to explain to me how four wheel drive worked once at a Jeep dealership and said to me, <sighs> to me, Hey, I was telling my husband about the Wrangler at the time. And I'm pointing out the dials and he's like, well, you know, you could take this off road. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you could, well, no, but you know, you wouldn't really, I'm like, I'm it's a, a Wrangler. It's a You're Wrangler. Talking- I know. I was like, we're gone. We're out. Done. I'm out. And it's like, what is wrong with you people? Like, it's frustrating. It's very frustrating. (laughs) Well, and I see that that like, um, that's part of actually what sort of frustrates me about the whole like automobile industrial complex is, is like, they don't know how to talk to consumers that aren't middle-aged men. (laughs) Yeah. and it's just it's so it's it's annoying and and you know and even in that like when we went and bought uh when we wound up with the grand cherokee the the shopping experience was a little weird um because we had a short list and you go in there and you sort of have to like you know throw your weight around a little bit and be like no 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 buddy you have to do you have to say something or, or do act in a way that like lets them know like i don't need your dog and pony show i know what i'm talking about just like leave me the hell alone give me the keys to the car we're going to test drive it and so that was frustrating to me. And then when we got back from a couple of them, like the sales guy would get me like away from my wife a little bit. And be like, so like, what do, what do you want to buy? Like, how should I, you know, what direction should I push her? And I'm like, oh my God, we lost the sale. Like, I'm not, no, like, that's not how it works. It's going to be her car. I want to make sure she likes it. It's not my decision. Like, um, so yeah, it, it's weird. <laughs> Yeah, they do. They do tend to when I walk in with my husband to a dealership, 99 percent of the time assume that he's buying the car, whether it's my car or his car or whoever. And it's not uncommon. And I I only once ever have had something where we walked in, we sort of walked in together and it was our car. And as we're talking and as we're going over the things, the salesman was great and he was not being condescending and he was talking sort of equally to both of us. And I, you know how you're saying like you, you suddenly you've, you've clued in that, you know, more than the average shopper and they realize it. And the guy literally said, he's like, I'm sorry, I have to ask you, are you involved? Do you know something <laughs> about like, but he was nice about it. He's like, Cause you clearly know more about this than most people. I told him and he actually got even better. It was almost like he had fun. Like, okay, did you know about this? Did you know about right. that? In a fun way. I didn't end up buying that car. I sent two other people to that guy to buy cars because it was such a positive experience with him. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. You know? Um, well, they'll figure it out one day or not. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, you know, the, the beauty of it is, you know, there's more than 3,000 Ford dealers across the United States. Find another one. there there are dealers out there that will not treat you like you know like you're an idiot buying out of state is such a pain though that's uh we bought some used cars you know in california you know there's hundreds of ford dealers in california you know and i mean and the same goes for every other manufacturer 
you know, they have lots and lots of dealers, usually more than one, especially if you live in a larger area, there's usually more than one, um, you know, unless it's, you know, one of the smaller manufacturers, you know, if a dealer is giving you a hard time or isn't treating you with respect, just walk out, go to another one. Even if even if you have to go across town, you know, to, to, you know, to make the purchase, you know, the thing is once you, once you buy a vehicle, you know, if it needs to go in for service or, you know, warranty repairs or anything like that, you can take it to any dealer. It doesn't have to be the one you bought it from. You can take it to any dealer that sells that brand. So look for, oh, I'm sorry. It, you know, I, I'm just, just going to say, you know, buy from somebody that treats you with respect and doesn't, you know, doesn't try to rip you off. If they're, if it's at all apparent that they're trying to do that, just walk away because, this is, you know, for mo- almost everybody is the second biggest purchase they make after their house. Don't get ripped off. You know, don't don't let them take advantage of you. Um, you know, go ahead, Rebecca. Well, I was going to say one. Of the, I love to buy from women mm-hmm. because, you know, at the Porsche dealership here in Greenwich, they have a young woman there. She's been there for like eight years and she rocks it because she knows exactly what she's talking about. She's not condescending. You know, she's not going to try and and pry you away from your spouse, you know. And then the, there's an incredible woman at Aston Martin here as well that, you know, if you can find. And I remember I remember I had a great experience years ago. I ended up not buying the car, but it was at a Nissan dealership from a woman. Same kind of thing. You know, it, it's just fantastic experiences. Uh, with dealerships that have women salespeople. And if you are a woman, a dealership is actually a great place to make some good money. <laughs> you can actually kill it yeah. as a, as a female car dealer. I mean, um, because, you know, I find too, a lot of men will be more willing to ask questions of a woman because it's less of a pissing match. I'm like, well, shouldn't you know that? Or you just kind have of, to put up know, with mentality. all this. Just like, just the, just the non, I feel bad for all the, nonsense that you have to put up with to to do that though like that's but the number one thing and this is what i tell dealers when i if i've spoken at an event or something is when any woman whether she's with another person or like i like to go in solo just to see what happens because it's kind of fun and mess with them a little bit but you know you go in anytime a woman darkens the doorway of a dealership she is there to buy. She's not there to browse. She is there to purchase because browsing is what we do at the shoe department. We go <laughs> into a dealership to buy. And it's the same thing in electronic stores. It's the same thing at Home Depot or Best Buy. Like those, it's very stereotypical. So don't send me hate mail. But, you know, I don't, I don't just go to Home Depot just to look around. I go to Home Depot for, because I'm buying something and like, or Lowe's yesterday I was at Lowe's and I had two separate guys ask me super nice, not condescending. What can I help you with? And I, and I appreciate that. And you know, it's that idea. Can you go of, shopping I'm, with me next time I go to Lowe's? Cause yes. nobody ever asks me if I need <laughs> exactly. help. Exactly. I'll be wandering around for 15 minutes trying to find somebody to say, you know, can you get that off the top shelf there? <laughs> I usually just walk well, away from I, those people. I, I, I see them coming. I I'm like, nope, known, next aisle. I haven't known <laughs> to climb those giant ladders. They get mad when you do oh, that. I know. Just FYI. <laughs> but I'm like, you put it right where I need to go. But no, I think, um, you know, there's there's a tremendous opportunity in the franchise dealer network to improve and to make the experience better. 
my sister bought a used Jeep Grand Cherokee on Long Island at Novak Motors. And I say that deliberately because it was a great experience for us. And, you know, the same kind of thing, Nicole, we were actually in a Jeep Grand Cherokee and we were looking at the infotainment and the guy was kind of playing around with it. I was like, no, 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 you got to do this, this and this. And then he kind of looked, he's like, who are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm not anybody. I I'm Captain Marvel. Know, Get out of here. <laughs> I think I think that's, you know, the biggest thing that I would love people to take away from just what happened with buying the, the Mustang, the Mach-E, with our various buying experiences. Truly, there are lots of cars out there. If you don't buy that exact trim and that exact car on that exact lot from that exact salesman right this second, you will still find a car. There is yeah. still the right car at a dealership where they're not going to treat you poorly, where they're not going to be condescending, when they're not going to mark you up outrageously. And you don't like, just don't ever feel cornered into having to deal with that guy. And, Oh, you can't go anywhere else. Or if you just don't like that, walk away. Like I said, it's the second biggest purchase most people ever would ever make. If you don't like the experience you're having, get back into your car and drive away and find another dealership or another car. Yeah. For sure. Well, that's the end of that. <laughs> so what other questions do we have from our uh, from our listeners? All right. So John Bonestiel uh, loves the show and he's a Patreon subscriber. Thank you so much, John. We appreciate it. Um, and a follow on to uh, Alex Roy's issue with small displacement uh, direct injection engines. I have a question. I own a 2017 Volvo XC90 inscription with the turbocharged and supercharged two liter engine. I love the motor and agree with you that I'm never wanting for power. My concern question is around durability. I have 63,000 miles on mine now, and I've recently entered into a situation where I drive between Ann Arbor and Montclair. Uh, let's not discuss I-80 in Pennsylvania <laughs> very often. Uh, that's Montclair, New Jersey, by the way. Um, I've seen other YouTube channels who shall remain uh. nameless claim that such engines are too complex and the high pressures they run under will limit their lifespan. I'd like to be able to keep this car for as long as possible. Can I expect traditional Volvo durability from this motor? I do better than regular maintenance. Um, or is this design one that will force me back into the market sooner rather than later? Uh, thanks much, John. Uh, P.S. I didn't have choice. Uh, didn't have a choice in the name, but uh, do love it. Uh, well, we, we love we love your name, too. Um, and. Uh, Anyway, well, I would, like I said, John Barleycorn must die. That's uh, that's what it reminds me of. Excellent traffic song. You should pick up "Welcome to the Canteen." It's a great record. Uh, "Medicated Goo" is what, great. What does cut. that have to do with uh, DI small? It has and, nothing engines? to do with it. Um, so I've, I don't know that the pressure is really a big deal. However, you're generating the pressure, you're still managing it, so it's designed to run those kinds of pressures. I. The only thing I've heard about with that engine a little bit being part of the, the Volvo sort of ownership circle and, and uh, it's mostly cranky old guys with the rear wheel drives that I'm talking to. So they look askance at the new stuff as well. And there has been some chatter about oil consumption, but I'd, I, I'm assuming at this point it's it's on like the earlier versions of that and it's been solved. And I, I don't think you should worry about longevity with it, quite honestly. Well, and I'm a little confused from, as I've said before, I'm here for the remedial questions. So I am confused on why, what what exactly is the duress, the higher pressure? Is that because he's running it at like, what, presumably, and Hi, Lucy agrees, <laughs> <laughs> 70 miles an hour or something? Like, is it because it's the steady 
Is that the issue? No, I, I don't. I don't think. I, I think. I think it's I more just the, you know having a, a, a small a small displacement uh, boosted engine. Um, you know, in general, is going to have you know higher loads on it. You know, than uh, you know something like you know a five point three liter small block. You know, which is going to be a relatively you know low 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 stress engine. Um, you know, like driving it RPM, like running at a lower lower RPM. It's it's the yeah, pressure well, in the uh, cylinders though. It's like the, yeah. because with the supercharger and turbocharger, you're actually compressing air before it goes into the cylinders. So it it's okay. it's just it's yeah. I mean, power power comes from taking air and fuel and mixing it together and igniting it. The more more air and fuel you stick in there, um, you know, into a into a volume, the more power you're going to get out of it. Because you know, with a big V8, you know, you don't have to get that much air and fuel in there to get lots of power out of it. With okay. a small two-liter engine, you know, or a one-point-five-liter turbocharged engine, you got to go all um, Hans and you, Franz. You got to pump you, you, them up. <laughs> yeah, you, you're gonna you're gonna be forcing a lot more pressure in there. That said, you know, these engines are designed for this purpose. You know, these these are not. You know, it's not like back in the 1980s. You know, when they first started using uh, turbochargers on on mainstream vehicles. You know, and just slapping them onto you know existing engines that you know, and they they generally did not have great durability. These are engines that were designed from the ground up for this purpose to be direct injected and, 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 um, and turbocharged and in this case, supercharged as well. Um, they're designed to handle the stress. I don't think it's going to be a problem. I've not heard of any particular issues, you know, with this modern era of engines. I mean, cars today are lasting longer than they ever have. Yeah. Um, you know, so I, I don't, I don't see that as an issue. If there, if there is one, if there is any issue at all, with this one is because it's both supercharged and turbocharged. There is an added complexity, but that's on the outside of the engine. Um, you know, and the, you know, the supercharger is usually belt driven. Um, if, you know, if the supercharger, uh, you know, if the supercharger drive belt failed, it's not like if you had a timing belt that failed, if you have a timing, if you, if your if your valves, you know, your camshafts are driven by a belt and that belt fails or even a chain, then you know you could end up with bent valves you know if, if the cams stop turning and the pistons keep going but you know this is on the outside of the engine the only thing that happens if your supercharger belt drive belt fails is you stop getting that extra boost at low rpm it's not going to kill the engine okay um, i guess so. i just was i have always thought that engines were under the most stress in stop and go traffic in yes. that kind of yeah, right like and so in terms of you know, putting miles on this on this particular engine in the case of highway driving, I would think that that's significantly less of a of an issue than if he is doing 30,000, 40,000 miles a year in stop and go traffic. I, I think and, that's absolutely yeah. true. But I think the other the other issue that they're concerned about is the complexity of it, because you've got you know all the different systems to generate the the pressure. Um but I, I think that that's uh, not so much of an issue. Like it, like Sam said, it's been designed for it. So it's, it's it, that higher pressure is hard on gaskets and sealing and stuff because it it, it it it's like when you take a it's like when you overinflate a balloon, right? Like you get to a certain point and and it's uh, it can only stand so much. And so you, you're kind of doing that to the engine as well. You know, you've got a small engine, you got to get big power out of it. You you have to put in all that pressure but it's it's again like it's designed for gasket technology these days has gotten really good we've had turbocharged stuff for 
a long time. The thing you're probably going to see at some point is maybe the oil seals and the turbo start to fail. And you'll see that as like a, a puff of oil smoke when it starts up or whatever. That's going to happen. It's a wear item at a certain point. They last a really long time now. When I first started buying turbocharged cars, I insisted that the turbo be replaced because um, right. I was buying used um, before I, I bought um, from the dealer in the last couple we bought, it was just like, no, I don't ever, I don't replace turbos in and, those anymore. They're good. And mod- modern turbos are liquid cooled, have liquid cooled bearings and everything. So they don't have the problems with the, the oil coking up inside the turbo, yeah. things like that. So, so John, I don't think you should worry. Yeah. <laughs> so to wrap right. up, yeah. John, you shouldn't worry about your 2017 Volvo XC90 inscription with this 2.0 liter engine. You'll be fine. But <laughs> I do wonder why. So, so let's see, he's driving from, from where Ann Arbor to Montclair. Uh, yes. Montclair. Yeah, you should move, but otherwise you're fine. <laughs> well, <laughs> I think that is, is, is a somewhat longer than normal commute. Yeah. But uh, isn't that really, that's kind of close to where Volvo is in the U.S. anyway. Aren't they in Rockley? Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. You can yeah, just, just pop. You can just, if you have a problem, just pop over yeah, and, and right know, say, say hi to Russell and, <laughs> yeah, and Jim right. and, and tell them we sent you. Yeah. Exactly. So maybe they have an 1800 you can borrow. <laughs> Uh, All right. Now we have another one. One one more. Uh, This is from Sean Whitehurst. Uh, Love the show. Sitting in my garage right now is a Nissan Leaf that I own and a rented Expedition Max. Your podcast Mm. resonated with me when reviewing the Yukon XL Denali. Uh, Loved renting massive SUVs for long haul road trips, but I would hate to deal with them on a regular basis. Now, we just got done saying at the beginning that we love these things. Well, (laughs) you know, I guess, I mean, this this is, but this is a perfect example of, you know, the using the right tool for the job. You know, in a case like Nicole's, where you have a regular use for a big SUV like that, it's nothing, nothing wrong with owning it. You know, that's perfectly legitimate. You know, in Sean's case, it sounds like, you know, the the leaf is the better choice for him for his daily use and, you know, renting you know a big SUV when he, when he needs it. So uh, it says love running massive SUVs for long road trips, but I would hate to deal with them on a regular basis. Right now, after 15 miles, the expedition is beating the Suburban. Uh, there's a uh, grab handle for this driver and auto running boards that the Suburban lacked. So presumably he doesn't mention it here, but I think he had a suburban previously. Um, and uh, so, you know, I think uh, I don't I think the current generation suburbans, you know, certainly the Tahoe, I think, has got grab handles all over the place, doesn't it? Yeah, there were there were grab handles galore and there was a step. Um, they weren't like deployable. They were fixed, but there was a step so that you could get in Um yeah, so that's like almost like a trim level thing. Like if you yeah. want that, just pay for the trim that has it and you can get that. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah I will, but you d- know what, though? A lot of times I remember being on GM events. I'm just going to pull up my pictures real quick because um, this was 20 years ago, uh, practically. I the, the last week, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm I'm hesitating and I apologize for the delay because I remember talking to um, his last name was White. And I can't remember his first name, but he used to be head of GM trucks and he was very tall. And of course, I'm very short. And we would laugh about getting in and out of these vehicles. He actually taught me how to tow at GM Proving Grounds. Um, but there was not always a handle at the a pillar for the driver and i would complain about it and his philosophy was well that's what the steering wheel is for and i said no the steering wheel is for steering and 
it just it always annoyed me that I would have to grab the steering wheel. So there's definitely one at the A pillar for the passenger, but I believe that there might not be one. And I'm looking at the diesel. So this is this is this year's right now. Um, of course, my angle is like just off on my pictures, but I don't know if there is. I don't think there's a handle for the driver. So I've noticed that there's sometimes there is isn't. Um, and one of the th- one of the sort of rationalizations I make in my own mind for that is that's a, a visibility thing, right? It's another thing in your line of sight at that A pillar as a driver, and yeah. it's also another thing when they crash test them. It's another thing for somebody's head to whack into. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Um, yeah. and that, I, because it's, it, it, I mean, I can see it now. I'm listening to your reasons, but I'm never, I feel like they're on a big SUVs because they're, they're still kind of high, you know, be. it's not like they're down low. So even like my, my line of sight is a little lower than where the handle is, but I can see how in the right accident, that's your, yeah. you're bashing your head on it. But, um, I hate using the steering wheel. I had an SUV, uh, not an SUV, I had a truck. I want to say it was a Ford, like an F-250 or something. And there were no running boards. There was nothing. And I was trying to hike myself up by the steering wheel. And I actually, after a week with that thing, my arm was sore because it was this <laughs> weird, awkward, like hike up into it. So, um, yeah, for those bigger cars, you do need something. And the steering wheel is not. And also the steering wheel moves. So, you know, you pull on the steering wheel, it just comes yes. down to you. You're like, that's not helpful. Exactly. <laughs> you know? No, and, and, and I've run into that too. I'm, I'm again, my picture's just cut off, which is so annoying. There, I, I have one picture where the, this, the grab handle for the passenger is visible and presumably it would be in the same place for the driver and there is not one. Uh, yeah, the, the Yukon, I was looking at my photos of the Yukon, it does not have an A-pillar grab handle. Um, and yeah, I, I, think, I think Dan's right. I think it's probably mostly... Um, because of the occupant protection standards, you know, the, the crash standards, right. um, you know, having that there would be problematic. But Everything is a compromise. There is one in the expedition though. Uh, yeah. It, it, and it could be. So as, as Sam will tell you for the driver as an engineer a handle for the driver yeah. and not for the suburban. Yeah. I think that's what it is. Like, so, and some vehicles have them, some don't. Um, and so I, I think it's, it's just how they've solved that problem because everything is a, a compromise. And <laughs> it, it, you know, it obviously depends a lot on, you know, exactly where the A pillar is, what the angle is, you know, what it, all these pieces have to come together. You know, And so in some cases you may be able to get away with putting a grab handle on the A pillar. Um, I know, you know, there have been some vehicles I've had, I think, uh, the, the, I think the Ram, the, the, Ram 1500, I think has one. The F-150 has one as well. Cause okay. I see it in my pictures. It's low. It's definitely low, which I think may be the reason may help with the visibility part of it. But I, I thought it did because I don't remember having issues getting in and out of that thing. And of course that's a beast. It also does have the, um, automatic running boards. Which will go, which will activate even when you walk by the car, which is a little distressing sometimes. <laughs> I actually hate that, that. I don't I like the running boards to be fixed because they do activate. Like, here's the thing you reach into the back seat because you want to grab the bag you left in the back seat, and the running boards deploy and whack you in the shins. Yeah. Because you're just, you're not getting in. You're just opening the door and leaning in. And yes. if you just open the door and lean in, you're like, oh, shit. 
it hit no, you. You're you right. It does. Right yeah. in the shin. The number of times it has happened. So I want them to be fixed, just always there so I can lean over them. Not something that's going to shoot out and give me bruises in my shins. Yeah. Or on demand. Like, mm-hmm. so that it doesn't happen every single but, time. Because yeah. you're right. Like, I'm not always needing to get in and out of the vehicle. Sometimes you just need to get something. Oh, now you sound like me complaining about automatic uh, stuff. Have, this is, like, dude, this is first world, I'm telling you. Like, <laughs> I just... <laughs> I wish to be in control of the machine at all times. <laughs> Don't second guess me. That's it for questions. So let's move on to the uh, the Bolt EUV, which I it said it was extremely underwhelming vehicle because um, it's a Bolt <laughs> and it's. A bigger bolt. But you love the bolt. I do love the bolt, but I don't think it's going to change anybody's opinion. And I think that's that's part of the problem is um, the bolt is a it's a hatchback and nobody buys hatchbacks. It's a great EV. Um, It's just sort of, uh, you know, all that effort and it doesn't look like a trailblazer or a blazer. And I think that's hurting it. Mm. Fair enough. Yeah. I mean, it's got it's got some of that blazer look in it. You know, they. Uh, the way the C pillar sweeps up and you've got the, you know, the little black strip in there to make it look like a floating roof. Um, you know, I mean, the, the main difference is, you know, the, the EUV is mechanically identical to the existing bolt. And, and for 2022, the, the bolt is getting a visual refresh. It's getting, got a new fascia and a new interior and new seats, which, you know, were some of the big complaints about the bolt. A lot of people didn't like the, the seat comfort and they thought the, the interior looked cheap because it was hard plastics. Um, you know, so it's got an upgraded interior, um, and, and better seats in the, um, and the, the, the head, the lamps and the, the front end looks different. The EUV basically, they added three inches to the wheelbase and another three inches of bodywork behind the rear axle. Um, and then the, the hood, you know, is raised up to give it a little bit more of a crossover-ish stance to it. So it's not sloping down the way the, the regular bolt is. Uh, you know, you got more room inside. You got the option of Super Cruise. Uh, a sunroof is available now. Um, and they cut the price. They cut the price across the board for both of them. So Super Cruise is a big deal. And yeah. the, I think the pricing is actually a big deal. You, you were explaining that the other day. And, and I was actually impressed because they cut the price and they took out some of the sort of hidden gotchas in the pricing. So it's it's like an out the door price, and it's yeah. So they're, they're listing the the price of the standard bolt at thirty one nine ninety five, so thirty two thousand. That's including the delivery charge, eight hundred ninety five dollar delivery charge, and the EUV starts at thirty four thousand, the two thousand dollars extra for that. Um, and then they've got a launch edition of the EUV that's like forty three four that has like everything, all the available options. But because GM is no longer eligible for the federal tax credits. You know, they they kind of needed to do this to to make it competitive. Yeah, that's that could really hurt them. I think the EUV is really cute. I mean, I that needed that's what should have come out first, which I think we've talked about ad nauseum. But um, it's kind of like an electric cocoa. It is like an electric cocoa. That's what I was thinking. It's, too. it's pretty similar in size. To, right, uh, so like the Chevy Trax, the Buick Encore. Yeah, it's it's like five inches shorter than a Trailblazer, so it's smaller than the Trailblazer. It's it's close in size to the uh, uh, to the uh, Encore and Trax. Isn't yeah. that kind of a problem though? The Trailblazer is not that big. Well, I thought I I had the Trailblazer a couple of weeks ago, and I really yeah. liked it. I thought it was a good. It's a good I size. I enjoyed that size, but I like that size. You know, for a, a, 
a one or two person household, yeah. um, provided your dog isn't the size of a Great Dane. And <laughs> I think that, you know, Clifford, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I used to love Clifford, the big red dog. Yeah. Um, I think that I like the styling on the on the bold EV. I like the EUV. I like the fact that it's only two thousand dollars more. I do think that they could see a serious decline in sales of the Bolt EV, but it's also one of the worst times that they are no longer eligible for the $7,500 tax credit. Maybe the Biden administration will take pity on them and extend that because there's so much competition coming out that, you know, GM still suffers from the idea that people don't think of Chevrolet as a tech brand. Mm -hmm. And so they continue to have that kind of challenge of getting people in and to what we were talking about earlier, their dealer network needs to get on board selling these as well. And so, so there's a lot of challenges, even though they've, I think they've done a good job improving both vehicles. There's a lot of challenges in the EV space right now that unfortunately they had an opportunity when it was pretty much of an open field that they didn't quite take advantage of. So there's, there's ground to be made up here, I think, even with these products. I think I think part of their challenge is going to be even though they've you know given better options and improved and the styling is is better with the what did you call it Dan not very exciting the, what was ex- it well EV so yeah extremely, extremely underwhelming. underwhelming vehicle well I think because the Bolt EV when people first saw that especially that sort of plastic fantastic interior that it had <laughs> really has a lot of work to do to shed that image for anybody who was shopping for an EV, you know, it really wasn't a great interior. So no matter what they do, there's sort of that if you drove one and, or if you test drove one, or if you looked in one, you're oh, I don't know how I feel about this. Will you come back and give it a second glance now? Maybe you won't. Maybe you feel like to get to something where you actually like that, there's such a big leak. They couldn't possibly have made it, you know? Yeah, I think that's fair. I, mean, I personally wasn't offended by the interior, but I think I gave it. I was of offended pass. by it. Yeah. <laughs> Deeply. Deeply offended. Um, I, well, I think part of it was. Wait a, uh, minute, wait a minute. Hold on. You were offended by really the Bolt interior, but you were not offended by the Bronco Sports interior? The Bronco Sports interior. The Bronco interior Sport is mostly hard plastics, too. Yeah, okay, but here's the thing the Bronco Sport at least has, like, it makes sense to me that it's that way. Like you're like the Bronco sport has a sort of ruggedness to it. Yeah. It's totally this plasticky interior, but there's a certain um, go out, get this thing messy and dirty and muddy and gross. And you're still going to be okay in it. Like I was okay with that. That sort of kind of like how, you know, if you look at a base trim and a Wrangler, it's, I mean, it's very, <laughs> it's, it's very base. Yeah. <laughs> it's very stripped down. You feel like you could like your dog could run through that car and you could take out a hose and just hose it out and like good to go. I'm okay with the Bronco because that is what that car sort of holds that same place in my head that I want it to be something that is super easy to clean out and fancy leathers and Alcantara and whatever is not that. So, but the bolts, I don't, I want it to be a cool snazzy electric vehicle. And when it just was very plastic, I was not actually offended. I just didn't think that it was lived up to my expectations of what this fancy new tech should be. It's a, it's a new tech. It's sort of something you want it to feel new and forward thinking, or I do anyway. And the Bolt EV didn't do that for me. I I wanted to feel like I was driving the future and I did not. But there you go. You know, it's funny because I, the, the pass that you gave the, the, the Bronco or the Wrangler is the same kind of pass I give the Bolt because it's like, well, I mean, they have to do something to, to keep the weight down. And so all that extra stuff, all the niceties, way more and the cost as well like weight and cost are sort of the two killers and the nicer materials in the interior are 
the place where that cost like that's the place where it comes from because well, I get it. Yeah. I mean, I get that's what it is. I get that, you know, you can't have heavy stuff and these really, you know, yeah, it's a cost and B weight. I totally get that, but I want them to keep the cost down and the weight down without, Oh my gosh, they're going to hate me without making it look like a play school vehicle. <laughs> I want it to feel like a car inside. You don't want it to feel look like a cozy coupe. I think yeah, I don't want it to look like a cozy coupe. And although it was like fine to drive and I get, I get it. I was like this, it, no, it didn't work for me. I think Sorry. that's fair. I have I've yeah. heard that uh, complaint about the Bolt interior uh, more than once. So I, I think you're probably on to something <laughs> that people feel about it. Sorry, Chevy. <laughs> um, you, you know, uh, I just I look at it and I, like I see it's a, it's a little different than the Bolt. I just I, again, it's just I don't know how how much it's going to stir the emotions to buy. I, I like that the bolt is such a normal experience, but I, I think that it's also, it's, it's a normal hatchback. And that that's the problem is that it's a hatchback. Even now it's just sort of like, it's a normal bigger hatchback or, or, you know, compact crossover. I, I don't know if they've totally nailed it. Maybe they have the, the tax break thing is an issue, but I think they've smartly addressed it because like we talked about last week, we had a question about the tax breaks. You you have to have an income level to support getting the tax break versus just discounting the car. And so uh, GM has figured out how to how to move that financial hit somewhere else or how to pay for it <laughs> some other way uh, to bring the cost down um, to, to get the car priced competitively. So I think the price is great. And I think the car itself is great to drive um, and more space was would be welcome. Uh, overall, you know, the Bolt is a fantastic little EV, and it's something that people should look at. But uh, I wish it were better to look at. <laughs> <laughs> so, Nicole, thank you for for joining us. I hope you come back uh, again soon, and, and we can have uh, more discussions about how uh, PlaySchool hates you. <laughs> <laughs> PlaySchool and Chevy now. Thank you. Thank you so much for having the show. This was fun. I enjoyed this. You guys are great. All right. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Nicole. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Wheelbearings. Hey, we love to listen to our listeners, too. Drop us an email to feedback at wheelbearings.media with your thoughts, questions, or conversation starters. That's feedback at wheelbearings.media. You can also find us on Twitter at wheelbearingscast. Don't use any vowels except for the A in cast. So that's W-H-L-B-R-N-G-S cast. Thanks again. We hope to hear from you soon. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.